Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. That's what Carter Adams and Dan Mikowski did. They each pledged $3 a month to keep our podcast going. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. How are we playing into someone's hands as media, potentially, if we don't know the origins of a story, the origins of as juicy as it might be, and of leaks, I think, now, because yeah. there's so many leaks coming out that end up shaping narratives, too. It's like, well, what are the motivations there? What's the back, back, back story? And that's what I think, in terms of, you know, kind of getting to what Ben was saying earlier about what we could do as an industry is not participating in that. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital media. This time around, I have the long-promised interview with Mandy Jenkins and Benjamin Decker of Storafil. If you've listened to some of our podcasts from the early days, you may recognize Mandy. Uh, if you know anything about digital journalism, you've probably heard of, of Mandy. She's been at uh, lots of different outlets, mostly specializing in social media, but in recent years, she's been at Storiful, helping them to do the great work that they do. It was after the keynote speech at uh, this year's Online News Association conference uh, back in October that Mandy came up to me and said, hey, I've got somebody you need to talk to. So we set up an interview. I wasn't planning to do any interviews at the conference, but uh, I went out and got my recorder and we met up and we had a great conversation. There's a little background noise in here. We're in a in a big room, but we found a, a quiet corner to talk about fake news, which is something that a lot of newsrooms are dealing with and that Storfil and Mandy and Benjamin have uh, some ideas about. Enjoy. This is a, a podcast we're recording here at uh, the Online News Association. I just met Benjamin. Uh, Mandy Jenkins has been on the podcast a, a long time ago. I ran into her and she suggested, you need to talk to Benjamin. So, Benjamin, why should I talk to you? Or actually, why do you think it was good, Mandy, that I should talk to Benjamin? So I think a big theme this year that we've seen at ONA and like the big conversations in the industry, there's a couple of common themes we've seen. You know, one of them is trust in media. The other is mistrust in everything else. And what we've been working on a lot at Storyful, and what Ben in particular has been working on, is kind of why it's, it's, it's a good idea to mistrust a lot of other things out there about disinformation networks, essentially where the quote-unquote fake news comes from, and really what we should be doing to better understand it, but also what we can be doing as an industry to combat that. So that we actually presented on this the other day. We've been having lots of conversations with people here about it, but Ben's like been doing this work for us kind of behind the scenes for a while. And uh, I think it's more relevant than ever. And we've seen that theme be played out quite a bit here. Yeah, fake news certainly seems to be one of the things that everybody's talking about. I think it was on people's minds before coming to, to this conference. But, you know, this is an opportunity for, for a lot of people who have pretty good minds on this to share their information and perspective. So, Benjamin, tell me about the work you're doing at Storiful. It's really interesting that, you know, trust and verification has always been, you know, our company's sweet spot. Um, and we saw everyone kind of get very heavily into the fact-checking game. And it was ultimately how can we as you know, field researchers basically in, you know, the era of disinformation provide added value and really the context behind the journey that either a single piece of content or a single story 
travels through various parts of the internet that they're either not indexed by Google or they're new platforms that we're just not aware of and really looking at how different communities for various different reasons are using the internet, I would say. And it's now had such a big impact across our society, whether it's politics, you know, protests, you know, racial issues in America, that it's it's integral that we really re-understand and rethink about the way that the internet actually works. Okay, so your news organization, what should you be thinking about? How should you be getting involved in addressing this issue? Oh, I think one of the best things that we can actually do as an industry right now is take things a lot more seriously as a long-term issue and begin to figure out what is the long-term roadmap. This might be a 12, 20, 40 step plan, but at the end of the day, we need to figure out what we're all doing, stop competing, and start working together to cross action items off of our industry checklist. That's somewhat problematic because we're all trying to, you know, get our share of the digital media space. We're, tr- you know, we're all companies. I mean, you know, what is your your hope that? you know, that the industry can recognize this as a priority, that that we can sort of work together and identify particular goals and work toward those uh, collectively. I think the most interesting thing is that, you know, trust and news literacy are not issues of the right or the left. And, you know, as, you know, a company, we are very apolitical in a lot of senses. And, you know, we want to help everyone have a better contextual narrative to provide their audiences because at the end of the day disinformation is now a national security issue and there are actors outside the US who are using digital media to um, fool the American public on both sides of the spectrum so at the end of the day I think that you know there's a real opportunity to you know work on different issues with different people who have different beliefs so that we can as a community move forward. Okay, so can you give me some examples of uh, what Storyful's been doing? You know, we've done a lot of work in collaborative newsroom projects, particularly around elections. The French election, uh, we worked alongside 36 newsroom and tech partners to pretty much provide daily, you know, contextual news intelligence reports to all newsrooms who would be able to say, I saw this first Amir on 4chan, then sort of be discussed in several of these closed networks or, you know, gaming platforms or whatever. And then ultimately there's a coordinated campaign to get this trending on Twitter. So there's a whole backstory before it gets to Twitter and all the social communities and profiles like, had very specific intentions in pushing this narrative into social media. So yeah, um, anti-Macron narrative generally. Yeah. And I mean, the Cayman Islands, I think, was yeah. probably a... Yeah, that's a great example to kind yeah. of walk through, I think. So, you know, we all kind of expected, based on the KGB's kind of concept of dormancy, that there would probably be some degree of an 11th hour leak right before the first um, round of voting. And we were kind of set up doing a lot of work monitoring some of the sort of more closed spaces and instantly kind of saw photos emerge with a signature and some document dumps. And over the course of about a half an hour, you could see two, three, four hundred comments where people are talking about, wait, this is something we can run with. Who's behind this? Wait, no, it's, it's me, it's me. We need to make this signature better. We need to change that. And literally watching documents kind of get edited in real time before then kind of being pushed through to actual pre-identified American fake news sites before ultimately then being pushed through some of these coordinated closed platforms and then actually being pushed out by uh, National Front officials. 
And for us, we were able to pretty much provide that entire narrative from 4chan to Facebook um, so that the French media and international media knew what they were dealing with and ultimately could decide how impactful uh, their own narrative around it would be uh, if they reported about it at all before the first round. And I think that in a lot of ways, you know, it, it worked really, really well. Yeah, no, I, really no one picked up this you know, alleged leak of documents that were linking Emmanuel Macron to having these offshore Cayman Island accounts. The only people who ended up reporting it were these sites that it were leaked to. And I think if you contrast that with what we saw here last fall or any time there's, whether it's a real leak or a fake leak, of actually looking back and saying, is this something we should trust? And I think using that as a parallel lesson of what's the motivations behind this? How are we playing into someone's hands as media, potentially, if we don't know the origins of a story, the origins of as juicy as it might be, and of leaks, I think, now, because yeah. there's so many leaks coming out that end up shaping narratives, too. It's like, well, what are the motivations there? What's the back, back, back story? And that's what I think, in terms of kind of getting to what Ben was saying earlier about what we could do as an industry is not participating in that and actually really better understanding within every newsroom how is this potentially shaping my community because yeah the big na in national international level it's it's going to be communities like 4chan and 8chan and gab and where these kinds of things are happening and trying to mislead the press and mislead the public but i think it's also relevant to local community that yeah. that's happening too yeah and i have a, i have an example from my own life i was wor working at the connection newspapers in northern virginia and we were covering the elections we were putting out the paper, uh, one of the papers that was going out, it was like on a, on a Monday night, and this, this tip comes in that one of these candidates in one of the local elections was a Holocaust denier. So it's kind of like, okay, well then how do we deal with that? Because in a normal news cycle, we would, you know, we would investigate it, we would, you know, we would get in contact with the person, we would, we would try to verify it and do all these things, but because the time had been contracted, and the election was like the next day. I mean, what's our responsibility? Because on the one hand, it's like, oh yeah, well, if he's Holocaust denier, you know, a lot that's going to affect a lot of people's voice, voices and votes. But on the other side, you know, is this just a campaign trick that somebody's trying to do to game the system? And, and are we helping to facilitate this? And this is like print. This is like we're kind of able to control this. But now we're in this in this environment where everything is so, moves so quickly, and there's this desire to break news quickly and that there are systems that deliver so fast that it's difficult for us to verify. And so we end up becoming dupes in the, this mechanism that, that's occurring. That's occurred for years and years and years, but now because we're in this hyper-fast situation, it's, it's worse. And, you know, one of the most interesting things for me about, you know, these last couple of days at ONA has really been, you know, kickstarting some real, like, hard and uncomfortable conversations about strategic silence and kind of looking at, you know, sort of a lot of these social issues in, you know, many decades prior and how ultimately, you know, there was kind of a collective media agreement to not maybe report on certain things to amplify them and I know that here there's a lot of very very big concerns about allowing a singular group to dominate a conversation but um, you know I think the you know electoral sort of case studies are really important because there's kind of a strategic silence in the contextual narrative of the story that's going to be discussed so I think in France there was almost a relative strategic silence around playing up the narrative and, you know, ensuring that all reporting had 
uh, either degrees of, of doubt and uncertainty that you know helped inform readers or the reporting was actually delayed so that they could have a much more positive you know, net outcome with their readership, I think. And the other thing is is the, the fact that digital technology has made it so much easier for people to distribute information without the regular news channels. And that is problem, you know, through social media. So then it, it, it becomes a, you know, part of our role then becomes as verifiers of who these people are, what is their intention, and again, that, that takes time, that takes effort and money, all the ethical considerations that we have have to do that. One of the things that you ma- mentioned, you talk about leaks, you know, and that's part of this whole um, discussion. But, you know, from a news standpoint, leaks have a purpose. And the news, you know, news industry has used leaks to get stories out there that are important to get out there. That, and part of our process is verifying who those sources are. We're not going to share a, a story that came from a leak that we, we don't feel confident in. So the idea that all leaks are bad is problematic as well. Right. And, and so... Or that all leaks are good, which I think exactly. we kind of have seen the extreme of that, too. I think I think it slowed down somewhat, but I would say a few months ago, it was clear that every single news outlet was going to run with whatever leak came out of the White House. And it wasn't until a couple of them ended up being wrong that they're like, actually, yeah, we got to reel this in because, you know, these are not necessarily people who want to have the truth actually be out there. They're just really thinking about motivations. And, I mean, even aside from kind of traditional leaks, I think back to, like, the Podesta emails, if we could kind of go back again and the question, like, what was really the the newsworthiness of reporting on this, really? Right. Like, what actually came out of this that did anything except for further an agenda by the people who hacked in the first place? And really, there was nothing interesting in it. Well, and, really. and it's funny. It sort of creates this fervor. I mean, we, we recently we, we just had, a, um, you know, a cabinet member um, step down because of... Um, that he was using using you know private jets when he, he shouldn't have been, and then suddenly there's a story a couple of days ago of the uh, the VA director uh, Shulkin using military jets, and 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 actually a lot of those jets, if they're part of his job, he, he can kind of do that to save money. So you know, creating this fervor of everything you know that comes out is somehow true and is to incite I think I don't know if it's the news or if it's the public has this has this Jones for 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 this this level of panic around every piece of information that comes out the frantic reporting of, of any new information that comes out and at times I mean it's an exciting time to be a journalist and a oh news God, consumer yeah. Yeah. but there are times when I'm just like you know maybe we should have sat on that one for a little while done a little bit more reporting seen what more you could find out like maybe that report the Trump-Russia report that just vanished because I think it was rushed to the press too quickly. And like Not to the press quote, but actually to the public before anyone really did any reporting or background on it. So people just kind of dismissed it. The uh, the report on the, the classic golden showers prostitute, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel... I mean, have, have we lost time as a, uh, as a resource for us? I mean, are, are we so much into the pull of, like, we, we have to be part of the breaking news, we have to be part of the discussion all the time that, that we don't have enough time to, uh, to research and, and report? Well, I think, you know, that's kind of, you know, really at the crux of the issue because it's always, you know, at its core, you know, you have to be right. And it's nice to be the first to the story and, you know, being correct, but 
Um, we always need to, you know, recognize the long-term importance of being right in, you know, audience development and ultimately trust. And, you know, it's very interesting because in early 2010, I, you know, was at a conference in New York, I think hosted by the Sunlight Foundation, and um, it's Daniel Ellsberg and Julian Assange. Um, back when WikiLeaks was still, I would say, a bit more trustworthy in the sort of leak industry. Yeah. More, more friend than frenemy. Absolutely. And this was uh, at the point where he had just was about to go on the run. So he was supposed to be in New York, but then Skyped in and, you know, you know, sort of the beginning of that entire journey. And, and he really did sort of talk a lot about the importance of you know, slow burn research investigations and ultimately corroborating everything in a leak because there's this responsibility to the public. And I think that you kind of look at what's happened to WikiLeaks over the years and in so many ways they almost fueled this, you know, push for speed over accuracy. And ultimately I think there was a lot of, you know, reliance on, you know, looking at like WikiLeaks at one point as somewhat of a legitimate, you know, entity to, to trust on this front. And ultimately as they eroded their trust with newsrooms, newsrooms were kind of forced into much more of a culture of speed, I think. Yeah. How do we then, I think you've kind of touched on, on different aspects of it. Let's just try to, to roll it all together. What is it that as newsrooms, what is it we need to do to maintain our trust, you know, stay in the game, you know, recognize possible bad actors and and do our jobs well so that we inform the public and are not just tools for whatever particular political gamester is trying to to trick us. I think at the end of the day it really does come down to collaboration because you know the work that we can do with collaborative newsrooms around particular issues actually enables us to get so much more done because you know we're allowed we can basically inform newsrooms and give them you know a background on something or they can reach out to us in the middle of a story and say hey have you seen this aspect or can you dig in and see if there's anything here and you know around a lot of stories particularly in you know the long-winded scandal plagued you know Trump administration you know, so many, you know, secondary or tertiary characters all, you know, have open, socially tagged, you know, Donald Trump in photos dating back, you know, in Russia, so on and so forth, uh, you know, in Turkey. And, you know, everything is kind of like verified and, you know, geotagged social media. So, you know, there's so many aspects of different components of investigations that we all need to be, you know, talking more and working together because there's, a, there's an actual goal at the end of it and you know I think journalism as an in industry is not about profit it's about truth so I think that ideally we have both ideally you know. <laughs> there's both yeah but yeah at the end of the day I think that you know there needs to be some common goals you know really across the industry Mandy I you just sat in on the um, the tech future or the future tech presentation by Amy Webb. I'm going to definitely post a link to that video when it comes up. Man, her brain works overtime. She's super smart and she's looking down the road at, at what's going on in, in technology and how it's going to affect journalism. What, what was your takeaway? I think that a big takeaway from this is that as much as we, like even just here, just now, I've been talking about, you know, the technology that's out there, we really need to better understand these networks, where people are interacting. This is next level of these are things that are going on right now that you could kind of tell in the room that necessarily people don't know that there is, it's so easy now to build a very easy 3D video that looks like a 
public figure saying something that they never said because the audio has come a long way, the video has come a long way, the spread of networks now when we're talking talking about the things like how um, the the splinter net of the way that everyone is going to be getting divided because of both uh, censorship and the, the split off of the internet because of things like right to be forgotten laws that we're not even going to be able to easily share the same information across the world that this flow of information that we have coming right now is is not going to always be here and what we can be thinking about to combat that too that, that those things together could make what we like think of as fake news now just like a charming thing of the past and that the ability to mislead the public can be a lot greater when we're not all able to work together and when there's better tools out there for people to misuse in this fashion. Yeah, our lives really become an episode of Black Mirror. Uh, so, so much. The fact that things like Alexa, which seems so harmless and it's going to help you come up with a recipe to make your dinner, can actually, are, are sort of pointing to you know, the degradation of brands, news brands that, you know, you know, maybe you can get this information from from Google and Facebook, et cetera, through your voice activated uh, computer, uh, your voice activated speakers. And they're not going to tell you where that information comes from. So it becomes difficult for news brands to sustain in, in a situation like that, but it also for the impact it can have on truth and the information that you get because the more you you're comfortable with this technology the easier it is for people to game it and the more vulnerable you become so this is scary stuff so what not scary stuff are you guys doing at Storyful? what not scary stuff are we doing? well I mean it's always a little scary but I think um, one of the things that I'm constantly inspired by in the work that we're doing is the fact that for one thing the eyewitness media has just come a very long way you know that's where we started that's still the core of what we do I think a lot more people are aware of, for one thing, that they themselves could be at the center of a story at any point. A little bit more, even from the public, of looking to social media for when something's going on. For both good and bad, there's definitely more bad actors who know, hey, the media's out here looking for eyewitnesses. I'm going to go be this, this fake victim or something like that. But on the other side of that, more people are also saying, hey... I have this. I'm interested in making sure the media knows about this. I want to help tell a part of the story because I'm here for this. I'm here getting away from this. I saw this person. I can help with this. It makes me feel a lot a lot more optimism than I would expect, even in the worst of stories of things like Las Vegas, you know, of various terror attacks we've seen this year across Europe, that people are still stepping up and still want to work with media in partnership together with these eyewitnesses and that their stories are shaping our stories in positive ways that is is something that i think is going to be it's like that part of trust in media that we're not necessarily talking about like yeah it'd be nice if there were more subscriptions and people weren't believing fake news but at the very least when people have news affect their lives in real impactful in their face ways they're still coming to us which i think is, is something that i'm very positive about you know and that just sort of doubles down on why it's so important for us to be you know figure out a way so that people understand that we're trustworthy organizations and to fight fake news and and, and things like that so that you know, that's where a value is, that we're the verifiers, we're the ones who are going to make things a lot easier, a lot safer, hopefully. Not that there aren't news outlets out there, you know, who who they are, who don't care so much about that, but that's another story, that's another day. Mandy, Benjamin, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks. Next time on It's All Journalism. The 
point of journalism is to help people understand the world around them. The point of the kind of journalism I do is to help them understand what their government does and what DC does. And if they have a question and I can answer it and it's posed in a not mean way, then that's pretty cool because you didn't used to be able to really do that. Be sure to check in next week when we talk to Shauna Thomas, the DC bureau chief for Vice News Tonight on HBO. We talk about politics, Charlottesville, digital media. It, it's a great conversation and you're really going to enjoy it. In the meantime, check out our other podcast episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism. This week's episode was produced by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre provided our music. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. If you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism, why not contribute to our Patreon campaign? You go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link at the top of the page. You can find out more information about how you can help us keep this podcast going. If you do pledge, we'll thank you on the podcast. We'll say your name just so everybody knows how much you care about good journalism. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.